All right. Hey, there I am. Good morning. All right. Always a privilege to open God's Word together with us. Uh, I'm not entirely sure I've prayed this hard preparing a sermon since my first one back in 2015, um, but here I am. We're in a series, we're talking about the church. The Bible refers to the church as the bride of Christ. The bride is a metaphor for the vast expanse of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that believe in and follow Jesus. People from all walks of life with all sorts of stains, wrinkles, and imperfections. Jesus knows we aren't perfect. He knows a perfect church doesn't exist, and yet, he has chosen us. We are where his affection lies. It's where he wants to be present. It's where he wants to forgive and transform lives. Jesus wants to do these kind of things right here in our midst. His love and grace towards us is far greater than we can imagine. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, and he adores his church, and he wants the best for her. So I would say, when it comes to moments like the one our church is in right now, where a pastor is let go, Moments where things don't go the way we expected, or the way we think they should, or the way we wished that they would have gone. These are key moments in our lives to remember who Jesus is. He's the rock of our salvation. He will not be moved. He is not surprised. He is the one that we follow, whose kingdom will never end. So I think some good questions to ask Jesus are, what do you want to teach us in this moment? How do we respond in a way that honors you, Lord, and honors others around us? What Jesus do you want for this church? Of course, there's no easy answers, nor is there likely an immediate one. So to take some time and sit in confusion, frustration, anger, in mourning, that's okay. This can take some time. But I also believe when it comes to these kind of moments, Jesus continues to ask us to trust in him and to follow him into the future. As a staff and as an elders board, we want you to know that our vision and values will continue to drive us as a church. We plan to continue to be a church that is for the gospel and the word of God, a church that is for the poor and needy, a church that is for the North Shore, this beautiful city, we're a church that's for the redemption of the whole human person and a church that is for the global mission of God. These are our values and we plan on sticking with them and would love for you to stick with us. So thank you again for being here. Thank you for many of you who've reached out to the staff this week and encouraged us. It's meant so much. Our message this Sunday is on discipleship. One of Jesus' final words to his disciples was to make more disciples. Let me pray as we open our word this morning. Lord Jesus, oh, there's so much going on, so much in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, in this church. And so, Lord, right now, we pray that we could focus on you, and as Dave has already prayed, may we fix our eyes on you. Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us this morning and that we would hear from you in a new and a fresh way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
If you've been to church for a while, as many of us have, being a disciple or the idea of discipleship is a common one. It's likely not new at all. So if I ask, what is a disciple? You would answer, you can, follower of Jesus, student, excellent, this is good. And if I would ask, what is the goal of discipleship? You would say, Make more disciples, become like Jesus. I think I've heard a bunch of these things. This is good. Be transformed from the inside out. Discipleship in the church is like a thread weaved through a quilt that holds together everything we do. So everything we do in this church, we want to tie into discipleship, and we want to do this together. Here are Jesus' final words to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Make disciples. How does that look? First, by proclaiming the good news that Jesus is king. Then, believe in and follow Jesus. Get baptized, a public declaration of one's allegiance to Christ. Then, teach them to obey, to walk in the newness of life in God's kingdom. And then, that amazing promise that Jesus is with them, with us, always. This lays out the basis for discipleship. And there's a phrase uh, from pastor and author John Mark Comer that I think helps describe what a disciple is and gives it a really good framing. And he says this, a disciple is an apprentice to King Jesus. In my understanding, in English, the word apprentice gives us the fullest idea of what discipleship is. Student is a good word too, it's what disciple means, but when I think of the word student, I tend to picture a UBC student going to class and taking notes. So I believe the word apprentice gives us a clearer and fuller picture. An apprentice learns under the master with the goal to do and to take over what the teacher or the master does. After I graduated high school, I joined a construction company that framed houses. When our crew showed up, there was a hole in the ground. Then we formed the foundation, poured it with concrete, and then built a wooden structure up to the top of the roof. When I joined, I didn't know anything about building a house. I had barely touched any power tools. I never took woodworking in school. I was about as green as they come. But when I started, my boss didn't hire me simply to learn about building, but to actually help him build houses. And that's what I did, even though when I started, I was no good at it. But I wanted to learn. Building was fun. I liked a good paycheck. And slowly, I began learning. It wasn't easy. And in fact, it was really hard work. And if you look at the current extent of my muscular frame, you can guess that my 18-year-old self wasn't the strongest. Early on, we were taking forms off that we had used to pour the foundation. These are heavy, three-quarter inch thick, full sheets of plywood soaked in grease and water, and I had to haul them around all day. I could barely lift them, let around haul them around uneven ground around the foundation. So not only did I need tool skills and knowledge of the step-by-step process in which a crew builds a house, but I needed to build strength and endurance. And to do all of that, I needed to apprentice under someone who knew the trade and could show me how to do it. We worked side-by-side for three years. With time, my strength increased. With practice, I got real good with a skill saw. Nail gun fights, always a bit dodgy. And I learned the steps of how to form the foundation, 
build walls, sheet floors, put up roof trusses, a rewarding experience. And then down the road, I could help teach new guys how to do the same thing. This is a similar kind of process that we want to have as apprentices to King Jesus. Jesus taught his disciples, and they taught more disciples who taught more disciples, and it's a process that's gone on for 2,000 years and spread to nearly every corner of the globe. It's been effective. And as we continue to think about discipleship this morning, I want to give us a threefold framework for disciples as, for discipleship as apprentice, apprentices of King Jesus. The foundation is to be with Jesus. The walls are to become like Jesus, and the roof is to do what Jesus did. Be with, become like, and do what Jesus did. I find it very helpful to think about the goal of discipleship in these three terms. And think of these three structures of discipleship as well that make up the same building. They're connected with stairs between the floors which you can move up and down freely on. So we'll take them one at a time, beginning with the foundation, being with Jesus. I want to say, being with Jesus and entering into a life of apprenticeship will flip your life upside down, likely fairly often. Think about Jesus' first disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They were fishermen. They had a vision for their lives. They worked hard on the Sea of Galilee. It's not a bad spot to spend your career. They were also Jewish. They were living out the traditions of the Torah, the Old Testament scriptures. Likely they had dreams of getting married, Peter was, and having families and teaching their kids to fish and teaching their kids the Torah. If it weren't for the Roman occupation, it would have been, I think, a pretty good life. But then one day, a new rabbi, a new teacher comes to town and says, follow me. Notice Jesus doesn't say, believe in me and you'll go to heaven. That is part of the deal. But he says, follow me. I have a new occupation for you, and I'm about to completely change the way you think about God and religion. Think about Matthew, the tax collector. He was tired of paying such heavy taxes to Rome. He wanted to get ahead in life and have a nice home by the sea like those influencers he was following on Instagram. Sure, he might have had to stab a few people in the back, but hey, if you want to climb to the top, you got to throw a few people off on the way up. Am I right? Apparently for him, it was a small price to pay for the high life. Besides, he worked hard. He deserved a little off the top. Making money dominated his way of life, to which Jesus said, Matthew, follow me. There's more to life than making money. Matthew leaves his money behind and follows Jesus. What about Saul, before he was the Apostle Paul? He was a Pharisee, a devout Jew. Life was all about following the law to the smallest detail. So intense was his devotion to the Jewish faith that he had Christians killed and imprisoned because they were blaspheming the Jewish God by worshiping Jesus. Then Jesus meets him, more like confronts him. Paul, Jesus says, I love your devotion, but you've got it all wrong. It's not all about the rules. It's about a relationship with God and living a new life of freedom from sin. Be free, Paul, and follow me. Three different kinds of men, three different kinds of lives flipped upside down by entering into an apprenticeship with King Jesus. I would say there's a couple times in my life where my life got flipped. The first is certainly less dramatic. I grew up as a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church, but there was a point in my late teens I was on the cusp of walking out on Jesus. I wanted to go the way of the world, 
But for some reason, I couldn't. And I was drawn back into a relationship with Jesus, a very different path than the one that I wanted to go on. The next, a number of years later, I began to sense a call into ministry and maybe even to becoming a pastor. And if you asked me at 19 if you think I might become a pastor someday, likely myself and my friends would have laughed at the idea. I grew up watching my dad as a pastor, and inevitably I saw some things in the church I didn't like, some things I didn't want. But you know what? God loves a good never. You gotta be careful with your nevers to God. And here we are. Slowly and surely, he changed my passions and my desires, and here I am nine years into pastoral ministry. Before I move on, there's one thing I want to be super clear about. Apprenticeship to Jesus does not mean you need to be in vocational ministry. You do not have to be a pastor or a missionary. You can be a, an apprentice to Jesus doing most anything. My wife can carry out her role as a disciple in healthcare the same as I can in pastoral ministry. So can the plumber, the accountant, the artist, the engineer, the government worker, you name it. Jesus wants people on the inside. He wants his apprentices to infiltrate all spheres of this world like a little yeast works its way through the whole dough. Jesus wants to flip the lives of billions of people upside down so they can come into a relationship with him, so they can beginning, uh, begin a journey of healing from their hurt, from their pain and shame, so they can stop the cycle of sin and violence, so people can be re reconciled in their relationships and become more generous more caring, more loving, more whole. So will you follow Jesus? Will you continue to let him flip your world upside down? And if you do, you will need to spend time with Jesus. And this is what Jesus says about being with him in John chapter 15. Feel free to turn there with me. We're gonna read uh, verses four to 11. Jesus says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So what's the word that's repeated again and again? the word remain. And who can tell me how many times the word remain is in this passage? Anyone? You can shout it out. How many times? Not eight. Not 13. It is a lot. Anyone? It's a race. Not 15. Not 10. That's close. I don't know if I've heard it yet. I heard 11. Who said 11 over here first? I got smarties for you because you're so smart. There we go. That's great. Remain, remain, remain. It's a good word. 
So Jesus is telling us to be his apprentices, we have to figure out, to figure out a way, whatever works, whatever stays relevant, to find a way to connect with God every day. We live in this amazing moment of history. We have so many resources available to us. We have every kind of genre of worship music, enough books and Bibles that couldn't be read in a lifetime or listened to. For those of you who don't do well with reading, you can listen to all of it. We have a ton of resources to watch. There's podcasts. Have you seen The Bible Project? If you go to bibleproject.com, amazing animated short videos that teach the Bible. It's fantastic. But perhaps the most important thing in this cultural moment, if we're to be with Jesus, is to find time to slow down and quiet our souls. Because if there are a ton of biblical resources, there are even more unbiblical distractions. And we have to find our way through, take the time to pray, to stick handle through our busy thoughts and busy lives, to listen and talk to Jesus. And I find this hard. But when I really take the time, it's almost always fruitful. So let us be known as a church that is connected to the vine. And look at what Jesus says in these final verses, 9 to 11. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Jesus gives us the unconditional, never-ending, never-giving-up-on love of the Father. An incredible offer. And if we remain in him and follow his commands, we will have his joy and his joy complete. Now, I don't know about you, but I could use some more of that in my life. And this is what Jesus has on offer if we put in the time. If we do not remain in Jesus, if we are not with him, we are not likely to become like him, nor do what he does. So we have the choice. This brings us to the second story of our structure. Becoming more like Jesus. And a key passage for this, in my mind, is Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, which says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. This is one of my favorite passages. I had our youth memorize this on our retreat this September, and so let's unpack it a bit. When the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, is referring to God's mercy, he's referring back to the first 11 chapters of the book. The first 11 chapters of Romans are a manifesto of God's mercy to sinful humanity through the work of Jesus Christ. And I believe God's mercy is summed up well in Romans 8 verse 1 which says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And perhaps for a few of us this morning, this is really the only word we need to hear. With faith in Jesus, there's nothing that can condemn us from being reunited with God. Nothing. No wrongdoing, no hurt, no addiction. You are in Christ. You are a son or a daughter. Now, I don't have daughters, but I do have sons, and they tend to do some questionable things rather regularly, but that doesn't make them any less my sons, nor does it shift my love for them. They are mine, 
And that's what God says to his children whom he has chosen. And when we understand and receive this kind of mercy, it won't be so difficult to do what Paul asks the apprentice of Jesus to do. In view of this mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Give God your whole life. What does that look like? Verse 2 answers, don't conform to the culture around you. This present world is trying everything in its power to squeeze us into its mold to dictate how we should think, what we should think, and how we should act. But we no longer belong to this world. We have a different king, and his name is Jesus, and he is ushering in a new kingdom, and our apprenticeship to him is teaching us and training us how to live in that kingdom now to get ready for the eternal kingdom that is coming. We can no longer let the world dictate to us its own terms and conditions, but we must learn to think, speak, and behave in a way that's in, 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 a way that's in line with God's kingdom now. We are called to be countercultural. Of course, not everything is bad out there. Much is good, but we need to learn what is and what is not of God. And the key to this is the renewing of our minds. All right, that leads to our transformation. Notice it says renewing, not renewed once. This is an ongoing daily thing. We all have rituals and habits and behaviors that form us into a certain kind of a person, a person who is more or less like Christ. About five years ago, when we moved into our townhouse, we had a little fridge in the corner of the kitchen. I had to bend over to look into it. And we were planning on renovating, so we bought a bigger fridge, which went on the other side of the kitchen, one of those big stainless steel doors. But it had been a month or two that I'd been going to this other fridge. So I would walk right past this big fridge to the fridge that was no longer there because I had already put this pattern in my mind. Our brains form patterns, and we want to move and if we want to move forward in our apprenticeship to King Jesus, we need to transform our habits and our thoughts to bring Jesus into our everyday, regular movements. Let me give us a few examples. When I make the bed in the morning, I will pray, Jesus, take the mess of my life, take the mess of my heart, and smooth it out. It's why we pray before meals, thanking God and reminding us of who is our provider. It's why when I clean up the mess in my house, I can join in the glorious work of the creator God who makes order out of chaos. It's why I have a vision or a Bible verse on my phone background. It's why it's important to find a quiet time that works for you at some point in your day that can be so key to changing our thought process. So to become like Jesus, we need to put in time and devote ourselves to spiritual practices, both alone and in community, so that your mind can be renewing so that transformation can follow. And if you want a comprehensive reminder of what it looks like to become like Jesus, I encourage you, read the Sermon on the Mount this week, Matthew chapter 5 to 7. And it starts and ends with Jesus saying this. At the start, it said, Jesus says, whoever practices these commands will be great in the kingdom of heaven. And then he ends it, similarly, whoever practices these commands of mine is like the wise person who builds his house on a solid foundation. Finally, do what Jesus did, our third structure. If the goal of apprenticeship is to carry on your master's work, Jesus' work was to usher in the kingdom of God. And we get to join in on that. John Mark Homer again says, Jesus is not so much looking for converts to Christianity, but apprentices to God's kingdom. He says, in other words, 
This isn't meant to be a side hobby. I like mountain biking, sometimes maybe a little bit too much, but that's not meant to be the point of my life. Following Jesus is not supposed to be an add-on to an already busy life, but it's meant to be the foundation from which all activity in your life is built from. Let me say that again. Following Jesus is not supposed to be an add-on to an already busy life, but to be the foundation from which all activity in your life is built from. And here's the deal. This is really hard. I fall short in many ways. It's difficult to follow Jesus on a number of levels. Number one, I'm simply forgetful. I can go about my day kind of doing my own thing on my own way. Two, Jesus asks for all of us, our whole life to be laid down, as Romans 12:1 says. It's the narrow, winding, steep path, not the easy highway. Three, I'm going to have to give up all my favorite sins. The reality is, those sins are killing me and continuing the cycle of brokenness in my life and in those around me. Jesus wants to bring me to true freedom. Fourth, following Jesus is not particularly popular. It's hard to swim upstream. It's hard to be different. Following Jesus is costly. Jesus said, whoever, therefore anybody can follow him. But that means picking up your cross and denying yourself. This is hard. But usually things that are hard are worth it, are they not? It does mean it's going to take some serious work, some practice. Anyone who is good at anything has practiced a lot. So it's not so much about trying to follow Jesus, but it's about training to follow Jesus. Not about trying, it's about training. Now, I don't have a musical bone in my body, so if I go over here and pick up Paul's guitar and I start trying to play it, you're all going to leave pretty quickly, all right? I can keep trying, but it's not going to ever sound good unless if a master trains me and I commit to practicing. Being apprenticed to Jesus, this is a lifelong journey, a long obedience in the same direction. Jesus' invitation to follow him, it's always open. His invitation to go to the next level, it's always open. So my question is, where are you at today? Is there one of these three levels that Jesus is calling you deeper into? Maybe you're totally new to this Jesus thing, and all you need to do is explore who Jesus is this week. Or maybe you simply need to carve some time out and quiet your soul with Jesus. Or does Jesus have an area in your life, maybe your character, your emotions, maybe there's a relationship, where is he offering you an opportunity to become more like him? Or is Jesus inviting you to do the things that he did, to reach out to somebody, to have a conversation, to help someone, or to welcome someone in? Let Jesus lead you. Follow him. I'd like this week to invite you to a spiritual practice of the week. And since we have three things, I figure that perhaps I could give you three options and you could choose one of them. So number one, I encourage you, spend some time in silence and solitude. Quiet your soul before the Lord. Or two, as I said earlier, read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 7. Or three, help someone in need. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up and let me pray for us. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you for the incredible life of Jesus. We thank you for the model he showed of teaching disciples 
how to be with him, how to become like him, and how to do what he did. God, I thank you that this has been repeated over and over throughout history. God, I pray that this would be a point in our lives where we turn to you, where we want to take our apprenticeship seriously, where we want to go to the next level. God, I pray for this church, that our discipleship would would continue to grow, that we would want to be a people known who are connected to you, who are like you, and who do the things that you do. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. If there's something in there where you're not sure about and you want to process, or maybe, God, where do I want to take the next step? I invite you. There are prayer ministers. Kirsten and Kathy will be on the main floor. Steph and Josh in the balcony. Um, anything you want to pray about at all, I encourage you to, cont- to respond by seeking prayer this morning.